Good morning. Okay, folks, I'm from Texas, and that was sad. You're not going to show, you're not going to have a Texas boy show you up. So when I say good morning, you say good morning. Good morning. It has been a great day of worship this morning. As usual, we've been led by Michael and his magnificent hair. Uh, It's also a great day because we get to open up and read God's word. We're going to continue in our series, Proverbs, a guide to life this morning. And we're going to be looking specifically at the power of words, the power of words. If you'd like to go ahead and turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter four, we're going to begin in verse 20 in a moment. If you've got your holy iPhone, go ahead and set your browser there or your Bible app. And also too, if you've got this little ribbon in your Bible, you might want to put it there. We're going to go to several different passages this morning, but our primary passage this morning is Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. Now, when Danny asked me to give this message back in May, he shared in an email and said, there are many different ways that you can take the power of words and the other passages that I'll share with you later this summer. He said, there's many different directions you can go with this. In fact, as I began to read the Proverbs myself, I saw exactly what Danny was talking about. Let's look at a few of them. Let's look at the first one here, Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The Southern translation of that is you catch more flies with what? Honey than vinegar, right? That rings true. What about Proverbs 16, 28? Proverbs 16, 28, a gentle answer. Oh, excuse me, 16, 28. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. A perverse man stirs up dissension and gossip separates close friends. If any of you have been a victim of gossip or your friendship has been a victim of gossip, you know that gossip can drive a wedge and destroy friendships. What about Proverbs twelve eighteen? Proverbs twelve eighteen: Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can both harm and heal. Both words can harm and heal. And then the final one here is Proverbs eighteen twenty one. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Again, I'm from Texas. And so we have the death penalty there and we use it, as you've heard, rather liberally. And so you could ask anybody that's sitting on death row when they heard that sentence that, in fact, the tongue does have the power of life and death. And it's a serious note in Proverbs eighteen twenty one that brings us to where we are in Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. Read this with me. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you already. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the freedom we have to be able to hold it in our hands, to look at it, to read it this morning. God, as 
I always pray John 14, 26. It's your Holy Spirit who's our counselor and teacher. Father, I ask that you speak through me and to these good people this morning, that you might illuminate your word and teach us what you desire us to learn this morning. It's in your son. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For these words to really have a deep meaning for us, we have to understand who exactly is the author of these words. As Danny mentioned in the very first sermon of this series, that this is not just Solomon's words of wisdom to his son. There were other sages as well, but these are not merely the words of men. My favorite verses in the entire Bible are 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. Not only is it God-breathed, but it's useful. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting so that the man or the people of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. First three words, all scripture, or four words in the English, all scripture is God-breathed in the, in the Greek. It is pasa, grafe, theopneustos. Pasa, grafe, theopneustos. Pasa means all. All of what? Grafe. Every time in the New Testament, it means, New Testament, it means holy scriptures. So all of what? All of the holy scriptures are theopneustos, the cramming together of two Greek words. Theos, where we get our word for God, and pneuma, where we get our word for breath or spirit, breath or spirit. So I'm not near as smart as the folks that translated the NIV for us this morning, uh, but when you look at all scriptures, God breathes, it's an excellent translation. But I think when you look at a passage like 2 Timothy 3.16, in conjunction with one like Romans 12, verse 2, where to, be, where to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, how exactly is it, do you think, that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds? How is it that we're transformed? By the word of God, right? We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can know God's will. We can test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what God has done for us in his word is he has laid bare his spirit. We don't have to guess at his will and say, I think this is what God wants. We can know from his word. So it is God who is the author of all scripture, and it is God who is speaking to you this morning, not merely Solomon to his son, but these are God's very words for you. Not only are these God's words for you this morning, but because they are God's words, they are powerful. Would you say that God's words are powerful? The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. That's pretty powerful, is it not? God's words are not just powerful, but they're powerfully accurate. I remember back in May when we went on a mission trip to India, I'd received a letter the week before I went from one of our deacons, Brian Johnson. And Jace Van is another deacon of ours, and we spent the entire week as, as roommates. We left on a Thursday. We got to where we were actually going on Monday evening. There was no air conditioning, and the electricity was spotty. We were already hot. We were already tired. We had already had way too much curry and smelled way too much body odor and rotting things. And we were sitting there talking, and we began to, to say, what in the world are we doing here? 
Don't look at us any lower than that, uh, lower because of that. Don't think of us any less of us because of that, but that's what we were thinking. And then I remembered that Brian had given me a letter. And in this letter, he shares that uh, he had been praying for us. He'd continue to pray for us throughout this week and knew that God was going to use us. But the most meaningful words that Brian shared with me were at the end, and it was Scripture. The end, Matthew 9 and verses 35 through 38 says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pay, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. Well, that sealed it for me. I knew exactly what we were there to do. We were there to lead a pastor's conference. We were there to train leaders so that the Lord could send them out into the harvest field that is India. Well, we had had some sessions that Monday night and Tuesday morning. Every morning, Tuesday through Friday, I was to deliver a message. We were working our way through the book of Titus. And I began to, to reflect on the fact that, well, hold on a second. I'm, I'm originally from Texas here, and these people are from India. And I remembered specifically calling Steve, our student minister, one time, and I said, hey, Steve, this is John. And he said, John, you didn't have to tell me who it was. I could tell by your unmistakable John Turner, Texas drawl. So then I started to think, and the devil was getting into my mind, and I was starting to think, well, man, if I've got this Texas drawl, so we both speak English, right, in India and in the United States, but we speak American English, right? And not just American English, but we speak Southern English, not just Southern English, but then it's Texas English. And the, the Indians, they speak English, but it's not just English, it's British English. And on top of that, it's British English with that Indian bent. And I began to worry, was my John Turner Texas draw going to be a distraction for these people in understanding what I was saying? And my lovely wife, Beth, wrote a note for me one of the four days every day that, that I would be preaching and then lecturing in the afternoon. And, and these are the very first words that God had me read as I opened that first note. Do not be anxious about anything, John, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. So, God knew exactly what I needed. See, we find out from a passage like Isaiah 55, 11, and this is my paraphrase, that God's word never returns void. It always accomplishes what he purposes it to do. God laid his word on Brian Johnson's heart. He laid his word on my wife's heart, and it was the exact message I needed to hear at that time. We find out that these are God's very words to us this morning, and so my question to you is if we know that they're God's words and we know because they're his words, they're powerful, how are you using them? Do you even use God's word? These again are God's words to us, so let's personalize it when we read it. Put your name here. If you're a lady, go ahead and put my daughter instead of my son, but read them with me again. John. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Does it have a little bit deeper meaning knowing that these are God's very words to you this morning, that he's speaking these words to you? 
We're going to look at several passages this morning. We're going to be in both the Old and the New Testament to see just how true these words from Proverbs 4 are. The first ones we're going to look at are in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we're talking about the power of the spoken word. The power of the spoken word. Look at me with, in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There are several things that we see just in these first two verses. The Hebrew actually, there is no definite article. There's no word the, so it's in beginning God. It's actually in beginning created God, but for us today, it's in beginning God. See, the absence of that little word, the word the, means that God is eternally existent. God is eternally existent. That adds to his power, does it not? Because there was nothing that created him, yet he created everything. God is powerful in that we see that in beginning God. Not just that, but the word God in the the Hebrew there is Elohim, Elohim and the Eme ending tells us that it's plural. You say, why do I care if it's plural? Well, because what we see when we look at the, the first two verses and you look at the, the rest of chapter one, presumably it's God the Father who is speaking in chapter one. And then in verse two, you see that the Spirit is also there, is he not? Is he not hovering over the waters of the deep? And then we go and we look at a passage like John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. You see, we find out in verse 14 of John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is telling us that the Word is Jesus. So in the beginning, God created, but God Elohim, we see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all here. They're all active in creation. Not just that, but we see that it's by God's spoken word, by his decree that things were created. Would you say that it would take power to create something out of nothing? Would you say that it would take power to create Out of just the spoken word. Some might say it might take explosive power, the Big Bang Theory folks. Well, they're correct in the fact that it took God's explosive power, the explosive power of his word, to bring about creation. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And God said... And God said, let there be light. And then verse 3 ends with, and there was light. God spoke and creation happened. That's the power of God's spoken word. God spoke and creation happened. Verse 5 tells us, and there was evening and there was morning the first 
day. There was evening in the morning, the first day. This pattern continues. We won't put all of them up on the screen for you, but if you've got your Bible open, look at verse six. And God, what did he do? Put your finger on it. He said, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So God said there'd be an expanse and it was so in verse seven. God's spoken word brings about creation yet again the second day. Verse nine, and God said, let water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. Yet again, God spoke and creation happened. Verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seeds bearing plants and trees on the land and that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so for the first time we see God speaking and there is life. The spoken word of God brings about life. Verse 13, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 14, same pattern. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night. It continues on. And God made two great lights together uh, to govern the day and the night. God set them in their expanse. So it was so. Verse 19, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, and God said, let the water team with living creatures, let birds fly above the sky across the expanse of the sky. So God created creatures of the sea and every living moving thing, which the water teams. Verse 23, and there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day God speaks and life comes in to existence. And then we get into verse 24. We're in the sixth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God's spoken word again brings life. Then we get to the pinnacle of God's creation. Look at verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us. Make a man in our image. That us and our is plural. Again, we know it's plural with a purpose. We know it's plural with the purpose because the Trinity was there. All three persons of the Trinity were there and active in creation. Let us make a man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, what we begin to see in verses 26 and 27 is that we're a little different. We're a little special, are we not? See, God spoke everything else into existence, yet As we'll find out in chapter 2, verse 7 in a moment, he didn't speak just us into existence. Not just that, we have a God who cares. He cares enough to make you both male and female, every single one of us in his image. We have a God who cares. Verse 31, and God saw that all he made was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. 
Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, the opening verses tell us that God ceased or he rested on the seventh day from all of his creative acts. But the rest of chapter 2 goes on to tell us the creation narrative again, but gives us a different angle, a little bit more information. Look at chapter 2, verses, verse 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became living being. You see, we have a God who cares not just to create us in his image, but he took time in creating us to form us out of the dust of the earth. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. It takes time. He did not merely speak us into existence, but he took time on you. Not just that, but, but he also cares to be intimate with us, the intimacy it takes to be face-to-face, to breathe the breath of life. We have a God who cares. So when we go back and we look at Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, and we read them again, we read them with this new and deeper meaning John, my son, whom I care for, whom I cared enough to knit you together in your mother's womb, I cared enough for you that I breathe the very breath of life into you. Pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole Body. What we see here in these verses is God's spoken word is powerful. God's spoken word is powerful, powerful to create and bring life. Is that not power? By his very spoken word, he brings creation and life. I want you to do one thing for me this evening. I want you to write down Psalm 33, verse 6. Just listen to it. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made the starry host by the breath of his mouth, meaning God spoke the stars of the sky, all of them into existence. I want you to go home tonight. I know it's Alabama, so you may not be able to see the stars through all the trees. But if you can see the stars, I want you to go home tonight. I want you to look up at those stars and then read Psalm 33, 6 and realize that God, by a spoken word, created all that you see. Yet he cared enough for you to spend time in creating you to breathe the very breath of life into you. So God's spoken word is powerful, powerful to create and bring life. But we also find out that there is power in the written word. The power of the written word. Just as God's spoken word had power to bring creation in life, the written word also has power. We see this as we look into the New Testament. It has the power to recreate. You all know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a what? New creation. Where's the old? It's gone and the new has come. See, the power of the Living word brings recreation. And where do we find out about the living word? All of us smart people with our smartphones, don't be smart, Alex. We don't Google 
to find out about Jesus, right? What do we do? We open the word of God and we find out about Jesus. So there's the power to recreate, but he also has the power through the spoken and written word to bring new life. What does Jesus say in John 11, verse 25 to Martha? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says something similar in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. So we find out about the power of the living word through the power of the written word. Do me a favor and turn with me to Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we find out there's power in the gospel, do we not? There is power in the gospel. So what exactly is the gospel? Is the gospel just found in the New Testament? Is it just Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? Those, those are the gospels, but is that the gospel? Hopefully after this morning, once you've looked into Genesis 1 and you see Elohim and you understand now that John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, really 1 through 5, that whole beginning of that chapter tells us Jesus was there too. Guess what? Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 21 is all about Jesus. Some people call the Bible a meta-narrative. That means all of it, again, is about God's redemptive work in history through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. So the Old Testament is no less powerful than the New Testament because all of it is about Jesus. So we see from these verses the whole of the theme of Romans. For the whole of Romans, we see the theme here. And we see, if we were to look in the verses that precede this, that Paul is eager. He's eager to share the gospel in Rome. Why is he so eager? Look at the the logic. Look at the logic in his argument here. He is eager because he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed because there is power in the gospel. And because of that power, there is salvation and a righteousness from God is revealed. Right standing before God is revealed in the gospel. So Paul again begins with four, I am not ashamed I am not ashamed of the gospel. When I see that, it causes me to ask myself some questions, and I want you to ask them to yourselves this morning as well. Are we as bold? Am I as bold as Paul in my total lack of shame for the gospel? Are you and am I just like Paul and our total lack of shame for the gospel? If I say that I am, if I say I'm just like Paul, Am I consistently sharing the gospel? And if you're, you're not consistently sharing the gospel, then am I actually, in fact, ashamed of the gospel? 
Paul says that he is not ashamed. Why? Because it is the power of God. Last year in Danny's uh, series over the summer, he covered these very passages and he told you that the word power is dynamis, where we get our word for dynamite. Remember how I told you it would take explosive power of the spoken word to create all that's been created? That same explosive power is found right here in God's word. You see, it's not just a power that God gives us access to. It is, in fact, his very power. It says the power of God, the power of God. That in the Greek is called the genitive case. You say genitive, schminative, who cares, right? I don't want to know Greek. The reason that's important is because genitive often shows possession, And so what God is telling you through Paul, through his word right here, is that the gospel contains the very power of God, the explosive power with which he spoke creation into existence you are holding in your hands this morning. Now, if you know that it has that power, does knowing the fact that you hold the very power of God, that the same power that he used to create the entire universe, does that change the way in which you look at the gospel? Does it change the way in which you might share the gospel, the frequency with which you might share the gospel? Continues on, not only that, but is the power of God for salvation, a soterion, into salvation. It means into salvation, not only, but also into bodily health, to preservation, to safety, Deliverance from peril, restoration to wholeness. You know, into bodily health and restoration to wholeness sure sounds an awful like a lot like what we read at the end of chapter four of Proverbs, verse 22. God's words, we're to pay attention to them for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body, health to a man's whole body. Asoterion means into bodily health, restoration to wholeness. It sounds an awful lot like the New Testament definition of salvation, does it not? What God is saying in Proverbs 4, verse 22, is that we're to pay attention to his words because they bring life, but they also bring salvation. They bring life, but they also bring salvation. God's written word is powerful. God's written word is powerful. It's powerful to recreate and bring new life. It is powerful to recreate and bring new life. So God's word is powerful. We see a spoken word is powerful to speak creation and to bring life initially. We see that his written word about the living word is powerful to bring recreation and new life. But what we see next is that the power of the living word. We see the power of the living word. Let's look at Revelation 19. Turn to Revelation 19 with me. I want you to see the power of the living word. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful in true verse 11. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. 
He has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself, he is dressed in a robe dripped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Christ is coming back in power. The living word is coming back in power. What I want you to do is I want you to do an exercise with me this morning. Now, the people in my church back in Texas got used to this. Senior adults, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to do anything physical, okay? You're not going to get hurt doing this unless thinking is painful to you, which I know for some of us it can be. It's, it's Sunday morning still, right? We're going to do a mental exercise. I want you all to close your eyes right now. Close your eyes because this, when we stop and we meditate and we look and see what the word of God actually says and we try to picture it in our minds, it brings a new meaning. I want to pull a few things out of this and you try to picture what the apostle John is seeing here. What we see is we see Jesus on a white horse. Imagine him on a white horse, riding on a white horse. We see that his name is faithful and we see that his name is true. Do we know that from the word of God that it's faithful and true? Second Timothy 2.13, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown his own. And then we know that he's true because in John 17, 17, when Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane before his death, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is faithful and true. Not only is he faithful and true, but his eyes are like blazing fire and he has many crowns upon his head. Think of the blazing fire and many crowns. His name is the word of God, none other than the word of God. Listen back to John chapter one. Think back to that. The armies of heaven follow him. They're also on white horses. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to destroy his enemies. One last thing to picture. Imagine him wearing white robes dripped in blood, but on his thigh and on his robe, he has the name King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, open your eyes. Did you get a good picture of what John saw? Did that bring God's word to life for you as you looked into this glimpse that we have into the final victory? It's a very different picture than we last saw of Jesus in his earthly ministry as he rode into Jerusalem to fulfill Zechariah 9.9, gentle and riding on a donkey. It's a very different picture when he comes back again because the word of God comes back in power. Jump forward with me to verse 19. We're going to read through the first part of 21. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on his horse and the army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophets who had performed miraculous signs on his behalf with these signs. He had deluded those who had received the mark of the beeps and worshipped his image. 
The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. The gospel ends where it began in Genesis 1. one. The gospel ends where it began in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. It ends with the spoken word of God. In the very beginning, God spoke creation into existence. In the very end, the living word of God is going to come back and speak eternal damnation to those who are opposed to Christ. It's a sword that comes out of his mouth. Many of you read the book, The Insanity of God. Did anybody read that? Remember that? It was a little over a year ago. A lot of us read that. And in it, we, we heard about Dimitri's heart song, right? The man who was in a Russian prison and, uh, for his Christian faith and how no matter what they did to him, whether they beat him or even threatened his life every morning, he would get up and sing to the, to the top of his lungs to the Lord. Well, I have a story uh, that's kind of similar, but nothing like it. This is what I call Timmy's heart song. Timmy is my three-year-old little boy. He will be four next month. You see, it was around uh, GIC time. We got home late. We always read our children a Bible story and then a story before they go to bed. It was too late to read both. And we had just read the resurrection narrative to Timothy. And so I'm in bed with Timmy and we're laying there. And uh, he says, Daddy, I know you can't read me a story. Can you tell me one? I said, sure, buddy. What do you want? To hear, and he said, Tell me about Jesus raising from the dead again. Now, we also have something in our house called the Turner Catechism. The Turner Catechism is something that we started with uh, Ruthie, my little girl who is now six, when she was an, a toddler, to teach her about Easter. See, the Turner Catechism goes like this Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again. She's six now, so she actually rose again, but Timmy says he rose again, right? But I'd been convicted about that because I remember reading Revelation 19 and saying, that's not the end of the story. Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins and then just rose again. In fact, he is coming again. So I was thinking of these verses, and again, I'm paraphrasing them for Timmy so he can understand. And I tell Timothy, I said, do you realize that Jesus is coming again, buddy? And when he comes, he's going to come on a white horse and he's going to have a sword that comes out of his mouth. I can imagine what he's thinking, right? And not only that, but he's going to defeat the devil. Again, he's three. He's going to defeat the devil, and he's not even going to have to hit or use a bomb or a gun or anything like that. It's just the spoken word that he's going to say, devil, go away. And of course, Timmy liked that, and he's going to go away to hell forever. So I begin to put Timmy down, and I, I walk out of the room, and he says, Daddy, I'm not tired yet. And I said, well, buddy, let me cue, clue you in on something. When your sister, when Sissy was about your age, we told her if she wasn't sleepy, she could pray to God, she could pray to Jesus, or she could sing to him. You can do that. And we've been telling him that for about a month. Never once has he taken us up on it. So I go down the stairs, and I walk back by the stairs, the base of the stairs, and about 10 minutes later, I hear Timmy, like, rocking out in his bed. And you know how kids are. You, you can't let them see you while they're doing something cute, because immediately they stop, Right? So I'm like crawling up the stairs. Now, the, the words that he sang were verbatim what his sister sang when she was his age. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Now, hers was more like a lullaby. He, he was rocking out. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. A couple times, right? 
And then I get to the top of the stairs and then he goes, devil, Jesus going to beat you. And he don't even got to punch you in the face. Now it was dark and I cannot be certain, but I'm 99.9% certain that he, he threw a right hook. Now as a father, I was a bit concerned as a parent. I was a bit concerned. Well, that's a little violent buddy. As a dad, I was like, man, that's a pretty good right hook. I'm left-handed, you know, that's, that's a pretty good right hook. But as a pastor, I'm like, man, that is theologically accurate. Because it is the spoken word of God by the living word of God that is going to ultimately defeat Satan. You see, we go back in knowing the meaning here that we have a God who cares for us from Genesis 1. We know we have a God who loves us enough to send his only son to die for us from Romans chapter 1. We have a God who provides for us ultimate victory in Revelation 19. When we go back and we read Proverbs 4, go back and read Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, it has a much deeper and richer meaning. Go ahead and put your name there. Again, read along with me. Think to it Think about it yourself. My son, John, my son, whom I care for, I cared enough to knit you together in your mother's womb. I I desire intimacy with you enough to breathe the very breath of life into you. I continue to desire intimacy with you through my word, whom I love. I love enough to send my only son to die on the cross for your sins so that you might have eternal life. And I love you enough to provide final victory for you in eternal life. Pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. See, part of eternal life we find out in passages like Philippians 3.21 is we're going to get a new body. Part of the body that was destroyed in the sin that happened in the fall in Genesis 3 will ultimately be restored. That salvation is eternal. You see, what we find out in this last part here is that the living word of God is powerful. The living word of God is powerful, powerful to bring about ultimate victory, powerful to bring about ultimate victory. What we see from the whole of the sermon today is this. God's word is powerful. It is powerful to create and bring life recreate and bring new life and ultimately to bring about final victory. God's word is powerful to create and bring new life, recreate and bring new life and ultimately to bring about final victory. Live as if it has that power. Do you actually live as if God's word has that power? As we close, I'm reminded of a movie that's one of the favorites in my my family growing up. Does any of you, do any of you remember a movie called What About Bob? There was uh, um, Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. You remember that movie? Bob is a mental health patient and he boils everyone in the world into two categories. He tries to establish dualism. He says this, there are two kinds of people in this world, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. 
Now, I know he's trying to create dualism, but I would say to Bob, the fictional Bob, that he was incorrect because there's a third category, Neil Diamond neutral. I could care less. But in fact, what we have in this room this morning is we have a divided group of people here. There are only two kinds of people in the world today. There are those who have heeded the word of God, who have found life, who have found healing and wholeness to their entire body through eternal life. And there are those who have not. See, the sad thing is you go back and read verse 22, and you see that God's word brings life only for those who find them and health to a man's whole body only for those who have heeded them. If you're not in Christ, what would you do today? Would you respond to your loving, caring, and providing heavenly father by coming into relationship with the living word of God? And for the others of us in our room, do you see the power in the word of God, this explosive power that you have access to 24-7 in this country? The type of power that not only created and brought life, but recreated and brings new life whenever we share the good news of Jesus Christ and someone responds. Don't withhold God's eternal provision from someone because you have failed to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to look into your word this morning, Father. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for the power of your spoken word, the power of your written word, and Father, the power of your living word. We thank you for Jesus. God, we pray that as we enter this time of, uh, of reflection, Father, that we would determine what is it that we're going to do with the power of your word this morning. And Father, if there's any that don't know you, Father, I pray that they would be drawn to you as a caring, loving, and providing Father this morning. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.